Good morning, Online Church. It's great to be able to share part two with you of our message that we started last week. I really hope that you got something out of it and, uh, and were able to identify where you were in regards to anger. Well, I'm just going to recap for a few minutes and then go into how we can overcome anger. And then the topic of my message today is the root of anger, the root of bitterness. And so as we see in our series, Turn Us Again, in Psalm 83 to 4, it talks about the Israelites having strayed away from God, becoming unrighteous again, and God not hearing their prayers because of the way they were behaving. Their behavior had incited God's anger, and they cry out to God and say, God, when will you hear our prayers? How long will you be angry about, angry, um, by, angered by our prayers? And we see here that in our natural ability, we actually need a supernatural undertaking for God to intervene and help us to turn our hearts back to him. As we recap, we see that anger is a raging fire and will consume all in its reach. Even those who stand by seeking a little warmth around a friendly fire may experience an unexpected lick, leaving a nasty burn. Because like anger, if it is not contained, it will become uncontrollable. Anger's language or behavior is, you owe me. Therefore, nothing will be enough to pay that debt back. Because there is a wound in our soul which no one can heal. And only through the blood of Jesus is that wound restored. And the price was paid for our sins so that we may receive that full healing in our lives. So we thank God for Jesus. And in dealing with our anger, we need to do four things. Identify who you're angry with. Determine what they owe you. Cancel the debt by forgiving them. And don't let that anger build up again. Today, as we take a minute to just open up in prayer and ask God to lead us regarding our teaching today, and to deal with the root of bitterness, let us soften our hearts, the soil of our hearts. Father God, we come to you in the precious name of Jesus today. We thank you for your unfailing love, Father God. We thank you that there is nothing that is too big for you. And so as we ask you to soften the soil of our hearts today, to remove any root that has taken root in our lives, we thank you, Lord, that you will do the surgery that needs to happen in Jesus' name. Thank you that you anoint my tongue to speak words of life and healing and hope. So, amen. So, as we realize that if we do not deal with anger, it will become a root. And that root is a root of resentment and bitterness. Let me tell you a story. Often people like to give me gifts and sometimes they give me flowers or plants. I found a little spot outside my window, 
And I call that little garden area Gethsemane. It's where I go to pray and spend time with the Lord and really get into intercession with him. I've planted some flowers in this little garden. And often, while I'm praying, I will get distracted and I will admire my beautiful garden. And lo and behold, I will see a weed that has grown in between my flowers. I'll bend over and I'll pull that weed out. If I don't get that ground, if I don't get my hands or my fingers around that weed properly, I will snap off the top of the weed and the root will remain in there. Therefore, I have to loosen the soil around it and wiggle the, the weed a little bit so that I can get a nice firm hold and pluck that weed out. Otherwise, in a few days' time or a week's time, that weed would have grown again. Then next to all my little flowers, I've got a little bird bath. And, I, and in that bird bath is water. And the little birds come and drink and bath in the, in the bird bath. And with the rain and with the weather and with the storm, that water sometimes gets a little bit murky. And my cats will often come and just drink water out of the bird bath. But if that water is dirty, they won't. And so too are our lives. If that water is dirty in our lives, people won't come and spend time and drink around our pond. And so this is to the story of bitterness. We want our garden to be inviting, and, and we are our bodies and our lives are like a garden where the soil of our hearts need to be well tended. And so we see that if we don't tend to the, the weeds, they will overtake and strangle our beautiful plants. The thing about weeds is that in the Bible they're referred to as tares, and they grow up with the wheat in this case, the wheat and the tares grow up together. They grow up and then they can only be pulled out and destroyed. And you don't want your, those weeds to destroy your garden. Today we're going to focus on Psalm 80, verse 5 to 7. And it says, You have fed us with sorrow and made us drink tears with the bucketful. You have made us scorn of neighboring nations you have made us the scorn of neighboring nations. Our enemies treat us as a joke. Turn us again to yourself, O God of heaven's armies. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. Realizing from the scripture that we cannot do anything in our own strength. We are fragile and we are fickle and most of all, we are stubborn. The Israelites were known to be a fickle and a stubborn people with pride in their hearts and therefore needing a supernatural undertaking in order for God to turn them back to the Holy One. Today, just speaking about bitterness, I want to just refer to our salvation. Bitterness is usually associated with anger and grudges, but this is... But is this what it meant in Hebrews 12.15, which is going to be our text today? See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, because by it many become defiled. So is that true? It made me ask a few questions. 
First of all, does the root of bitterness mean that the root of bitterness is like a block wood? Or does it mean that the root of bitterness grows into a plant and bears bitter fruit? Or number two, does bitterness in Hebrews 12.15 mean festering anger, being poisonous or foul? Number three, where did the image of the root of bitterness come from? Let, us, let me answer the last question. It came from Deuteronomy 29 verse 18. Beware lest there be among you a man or a woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord, from the Lord our God, to go and serve the gods of those nations. Remember, the Israelites were an embarrassment to the nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. This background also helped me to see and answer the first two questions. The root is not itself bitterness, but it rather bears the fruit of bitterness. And the bitterness that it bears is something poisonous. This bitter fruit may be a festering anger. But either way, the point is that it is deadly. The key question I asked myself was, what is this root that causes it to be so deadly? Bitter fruit to sprout, uh, sorry, and this bitter fruit to sprout. Particularly, we see it in the church, two kinds of people in the church, people who pursue the word of God and people who hide in the, in the background and associate them with those that are um, growing and developing in Christ. The next verse in Deuteronomy 29 says, give, gives the surprising answer that <clears throat> the, the surprising answer that fits perfectly into the book of Hebrews. Deuteronomy 29:18 ends where it says, "Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit." Then verse 19 begins by defining this root. One who, when he hears the words of the sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart saying, I will be okay. Even though I have a little bit of stubbornness in my heart, I'll be fine. Unfortunately, this will lead to the sweeping away of even the moist and the dry alike. What then is the root that brings the bitterness out. It is a person who has a wrong view of eternal security. He feels secure when he is not secure at all. He says, I'll be okay, I'll be fine, I'll be secure, though I walk in stubbornness in my heart, even though I've got some stubbornness in my heart, I'll be okay, I'll just slip, and, slip under the radar and no one will notice. He misunderstands the covenant of God that God makes. And he thinks that because he is a part of a covenant people, he is secure from the judgment of God. This kind of presumption is what the book of Hebrews deals with repeatedly, professing that Christians who think that they're secure because of some past spiritual experience or some association with believers, over here the aim of Hebrews is to cure us believers of the presumption that, and to cultivate an earnest perseverance in our faith and holiness. 
at least four times it warns us that we must not neglect our salvation, but be vigilant to fight the fight of faith every day, lest we become hardened and fall away and prove that we had no share in Christ. This is also the very point of the context of the term, the root of bitterness, in Hebrews 12.15. Let me read Hebrews 12.15 again. It says, Strive for peace with everyone, and for, the, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain grace. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many are defiled. This is a warning not to treat holiness lightly and to presume that grace will cover us. Therefore, the root of bitterness is a person or a doctrine in the church which encourages people to act presumptuously and treat salvation as an automatic thing that does not require a life of vigilance in the fight of faith and the pursuit of holiness. Such a person or a doctrine defiles many and can lead to the experience that Esau had when he played fast and loosely with his inheritance, unable to repent and to get his life back. So, do you have signs of bitterness in your life? Okay. Do you struggle with imaginary conversations? Do you replay a conversation or experience over and over in your head? Do you feel the need to tell somebody what he or she did? Are you easily offended by this person? Or do you have strong negative emotions to everything that this person says and does around you? When bitterness takes root and you don't deal with it, it becomes a habit. And when it becomes a habit, by letting the sun go down on your wrath, what will start to happen is your seeds will begin to rot. And Proverbs says that in bitterness, that bitterness is like rottenness to the bones. Maybe we don't talk, sorry, maybe we don't walk around talking about our hatred in our heart or the hurt that has been done to us. But there is decay within, and it shows by virtue of our behavior. We all struggle with this somehow. And in some parts of our lives, we all have an element of bitterness that we need to deal with. But we are not to let it take root. Bitterness is defined as anger and disappointment at being unfairly treated. You see, the seed of God's word is planted in the soil of our hearts. So we have to tend that soil. It germinates and grows into what, is, what its maker designed it to be. And if the soil is compromised in any way, the potential of that seed may be affected. We have seen many seeds get choked and burned and attacked by its predator, destroying the potential of that harvest. And who is the one, the predator? It is Satan. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is why Proverbs says, guard your heart with all vigilance. Regardless of what happens to us, many of us have gone through terrible things that I would not want to mention or belittle. Many of us don't even want to speak about the things that have happened to us. 
And, and John 16.33 says, I have told you this, that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. What John is trying to say to us here is that we are not to get caught up in the things that take place here on earth, the people here on earth, events and um, situations here on earth, but we are to be eternity-minded. Paul was shipwrecked, beaten, bitten, imprisoned, and even stoned. The thing that we need to focus on is not that which we have lost, but rather to mourn for those who refuse Christ, as they will meet God's wrath. And 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says that we will meet up again with those that we have lost when Jesus returns for us. So there is an eternal hope. All is not lost. Our walk must be such with God that we can change and adapt because we have the Holy Spirit to help us. We have been given a strength and a power that will enable us to overcome. And that Spirit, the Holy Spirit that is in our bodies, has made us in such, God has made us in such a resilient way that we are designed to recover. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 14 says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. So no matter what we're going through, we have the deity who is empowering us and helping us. We have the grace of Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit that has been given to us and the love of God that has been shed abroad in our hearts. And when our hearts are engaged and we watch over them to protect our souls, from being contaminated with the things of life, we hold on to hope, that hope which God has given us through his word to protect our harvest so that it would grow to full potential. You have loved righteous and hated wicked. Sorry, Hebrews 1.9 says that you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Here he's telling us that because we love righteousness, in spite of the wickedness that goes on around us, God who has anointed us will give us the oil of joy for mourning and gladness beyond that which we see in those around us. So let us talk about how do we get rid of the emotional bitterness that we might carry. Admit that you feel bitter You've got to know that it is there, and you've got to face it. You have to face it in order to leave it behind. Number two, acknowledge who hurt you and that you hold on to that hurt. Ask yourself this question, why won't I let go? Once you've established that, number three, let it go. Forgive. Change, and then you might have to change your expectations around what it is that you've been expecting of people and things before. Know that you are bigger than bitterness and it does not have to rule you and you are able to pull it out. And if you can't do it on your own, get help. We see how families are affected by anger and Proverbs 17.25 says that a foolish son brings grief to his father and bitterness to his mother who bore him. The only way out of, out of anger is forgiveness. And Matthew 6, 
14 to 15 says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father in heaven will not forgive you your sins. So my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger and become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. We want to root out bitterness. And again, I'm going to remind you of what Hebrews 12, 14 to 15 says. It says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. That means we've got to come alongside and help one another. That we do not allow the root of bitterness to grow up and cause trouble and defile many of us. Bitterness is so um, contaminating that it will even affect your intimacy. It will affect your intimacy with God. It will affect your intimacy with people and is particularly the intimacy in marriage. Anger in marriage rivals lust as a killer. My guess is that anger is a worse enemy than lust. It also destroys other kinds of camaraderie. Some people have more anger than they think because it is disguised. When willpower hinders rage, anger smolders beneath the surface, and the teeth of the soul grind in frustration. It can, can come out in tears that look more like hurt, but the heart has learned that this may be the only way to hurt back. It may come out as silence because we have resolved not to fight. It may show up in a picky criticism and relentless correction. It may strike out at other persons that have nothing to even do with the origin of its um, anger. It will often feel warranted by the wrongness of the cause. After all, we see in Mark 3, 5, that Jesus got angry and was saddened by their hard hearts. And he restored the man with the withered hand. You see, he was able to still do good even though he was angry. However good anger may have however good anger among fallen people is sorry i'm getting that confused anger among fall, fallen people is rare and that is why james says be quick to hear slow to speak slow to anger for anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of god therefore one of the greatest battles in our lives is the battle to put anger away. Not just control its expressions, but to help fight this battle against anger in marriage and the rest of your life. Here are nine biblical weapons that you can use to fight. Remember, if you just pluck off the head of the weed and leave the root behind, you might fool those that are look the onlookers, but in a matter of time, that root will sprout new leaves again. So, number one, ponder on the rights of Christ to be angry and how he endured the cross as an example of long-suffering. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow 
in his footsteps. Number two, ponder how much you have been forgiven and how much mercy you have been shown. Matthew 5 says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will see heaven. And Ephesians 4 32 says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God forgave you. Number three, ponder on your own sinfulness and take the beam out of your eye. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly how to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Matthew 7, 3 to 5. Number four, think about how you do not want to give place to the devil because harbored anger is one thing the Bible explicitly says opens the door to inviting him in. And Ephesians 4, 26 to 27 says, be angry. And do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And give no opportunity to the devil. Number five. Ponder the folly of your own self-immolation. I had no idea what that word meant. So I went and I looked it up. And it says it's like setting fire upon oneself in protest. That is, human nature has a way of sabotaging themselves to, and in protest just to make a point. And it is detrimental to ourselves spiritually, mentally, physically, and often relationally. Proverbs 3, 7 to 8 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh, refreshment to your bones. And number six, confess your sin of anger in marriage to someone that you can trust as a friend. And then, if possible, speak to the one who offends you. This is such a great act of healing. And James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you would be healed. Number seven. Let your anger be the key that unlocks the dungeons of pride and self-pity in your heart and replace them with love, with God's love. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 to 7 says, Love is patient and kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own ways, and it is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Number eight, remember that God is going to work it out for your good. And as you trust his future grace, your offender is even doing you good. And if you will respond in love, with love, we know this, that Romans 8.28 says, and we know that for all those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Therefore, James 1, 2, 
1, 2 to 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Last one. Remember that God will vindicate you just he will, God will vindicate your just cause and settle all your accounts better than you ever could. Either your offender will pay in hell or Christ has paid for him. Your payback would be double jeopardy or an offense to the cross. Romans twelve nineteen says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And when he was reviled... He, was not re- he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not re- threaten, but continued entrusting his cause to him who judges justly. God is the righteous and faithful just, judge, and he will judge and rule us justly. And there is still so much more to say about the unfailing love that God has for us. But through the blood of Jesus, we have heard that the powerful de- this powerful declaration You are righteous in my sight. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never have to experience the wrath of God. Let me give you a few points on the wrath of God. The wrath of God is not merely God losing his temper at something that has caused him to be upset. It is his his determined will, his visceral reaction of a holy God against anything that dishonors him. Visceral reaction is a physical response to something that angers you or upsets you. And so God's determined will is against anything that rebels against him. It includes will, choice, and emotion. It results in his judgment and condemnation. And it is tied to his holiness. God is love and his wrath is secondary. God is not wrath. A secondary attribute is that you cannot speak of God's wrath as you speak of his love. Love is his nature. God's wrath is not God's nature. But he responds to rebellion against him with wrath, and it is his willed reaction against those who refuse to surrender to him. It is linked to human sin and it is expressed against angelic beings and demonic forces. In Romans 1.18, it tells us that the wrath of God rests on us all. But thank God for his atonement in Romans 3.19 that says, We don't need to fear God anymore. God responds to me in wrath because of my sin. But he also responds to me in love because of who he is. Jesus took that sin on himself so that he who had no sin became sin so that we could no longer be seen in our sin. And 1 John 4, 16 to 21 caps it nicely for us. It says, we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, 
and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our life grows and our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels fear. If we are afraid, it's because we are afraid of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. And if someone says, I love God, but hates his fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we do not love people, we can see how on earth are we expected to love God who we cannot see. And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. God is a just God. God is to be feared and reverenced. God's wrath is consistent in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And God's wrath is his love in action against sin. God's wrath is satisfied in Jesus Christ, because in Jesus, who saved us from our own wrath, Jesus, who saved us from our own wrath, sorry, let me just find my place. In saving us from his own wrath, God has done what we could not do and has done what we do not deserve. Here we have the ultimate good news that Jesus Christ came into this world to save us sinners because of Christ. God can rightly call sinners justified because of Jesus. God has done what he could not do, and he has done what we didn't deserve. Charles Wesley said it like this, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who is him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be? that thou, my God, should have died for me. God's love is something that we don't need to, God's love is something that we don't need to fear. And as believers, we have been spared from his wrath. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, you can pray this prayer with me. And make Jesus the Lord of your life so that you will have eternal life and spend it in eternity with Jesus. You can say after me, Father God, I come to you in the precious name of Jesus. I thank you that you spared your son's life for me. And now in, the, in this opportunity and in this moment, I choose to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I choose to have a relationship with you and I desire to walk with you. Be the Lord of my life. Save me from my sin and forgive me for that which I have done that offends you. Father God, I thank you right now that as I receive Jesus as my Lord, I am now born again and saved for eternity. Welcome into the kingdom of God. You, have now, you are now born again and have started your first step in the journey with Christ. You can contact us on our WhatsApp number and we will gladly tell you about the experience that you have just embarked on. And for those who are struggling with bitterness and hurt and resentment, 
I want to just pray this prayer with you. There is nothing that is too big for God. And there is nothing that God cannot restore in your life. Even the wounds in your soul. But we have to root out that which has taken precedence in your life. And so, Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. And I pray for each and every person who is struggling with the root of bitterness in their lives. Because we have a covenant with you today, I thank you that right now that covenant is one of love. And that you have given me the power in the name of Jesus to root out any bitterness, any anger, any resentment that may proceed and override the things of God in my life. Lord, I choose to make you Lord over everything. Therefore, I command bitterness, resentment, and anger to submit unto the name of Jesus as I declare that today I walk in victory in every situation in my life. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen.